0: As a result of the outbreak, your city or entire region may be endangered by a lethal agent. If conditions at your location make this a possibility, you need to consider staying in place until the threat has subsided or blown over. It's in our DNA.
1: We choose the way of Earth. We choose the right to be we are. We know the difference between the reality of freedom and the illusion of freedom. There's a way to live with Earth,
2: and a way not to live with Earth.
0: You choose the way of Earth. My name is Ansley Jemison, and this is the Original People's podcast. The Ongweehoe podcast. The original people of North America, indigenous people, your neighbors. We're still here, the first people. With me today is a person who you may or may not be traveling around walking around and you might have an image of this person rattling around in your pocket, or you may have a collection of this uh, piece of currency someplace in your house. I know I do. I've got a few of them saved up and locked away, but uh, this person is somebody I've known for a number of years, maybe about half my life. I guess I would say Uh, we kind of came up together in a way in terms of navigating uh, the early 90s late 90s and things like that and now we're kind of young adults in our age here. Um, we both have families now and um, it's always great to kind of circle back with somebody that you've known in a past life but you've known that person all along and I'm really honored to be able to say that I know this person because of what she represents and what she represents on this piece of currency that I'm talking about and how it was told to me by reading up on the usmint.com or gov excuse me is she represents liberty and that's what the representation of an indigenous woman is on the silver dollar or excuse me the golden coin the dollar coin. And excuse me for fumbling here i'm a little bit nervous because she is a tough guest um, I'm, I'm nervous around her because she's badass and she's cool, but I want to welcome her in here, so please come on in tell me who you are.
1: Good afternoon. My name is Randy Elhizo Teton, and I'm uh, Shoshone Bannock from uh, Fort Hall, Idaho, and it's good to be here. It's good to see uh, you, Ansley. Um, Hello, everyone uh, listening out there. Thank you for taking time to listen to this podcast. Um, I'm very honored to be here to share my story with all of you.
0: Okay, so tell me what you're up to today, and then we'll get into the coin. Okay, so what is it that your role is with your community, with your territory and with your people?
1: Okay, so um, I come from the great state of Idaho. Uh, There are five tribes in the state of Idaho, little do anyone know. Um, My tribe is the Shoshone Bannock and we are the largest reservation in the state. We have about 6,000 tribal members. Um, at one time we used to have 1.5 million acres of land in the great state of Idaho, which took a good portion of the Southeastern region. Um, we still do today. Uh, we do own 98% of our reservation, which is actually a very big deal to a lot of tribal people. Um, our, uh, The tribe is uh, well known for beadwork um, in Indian country. Uh, A lot of our beadwork, you can see on a lot of uh, dancers in the powwow circuit. Um, We have a lot of people that reach out to a lot of our elders, a lot of our beadworkers um, for moccasins, fully beaded moccasins, fully beaded deerskin dresses. Mm. Um, I'm very lucky to own a few deerskin dresses that my grandmother uh, made for me and my aunts, um, which is actually a pretty big deal to any young woman um, to be uh, given a deerskin dress. Um, and as you mentioned, uh, I served as the model, the official model for the Sacagawea Golden Dollar Coin. Um, this was in 1998. I was a student at Uh, University of New Mexico at the time Uh, had no idea uh, that uh, my face would be chosen for the uh, new coin that was going to replace the Susan B. Anthony coin if any of you remember the Susan B. Anthony coin it was kind of oddly shaped Um, it had a late an old lady on there Um, and uh, they're just it wasn't very um, popular and so the United States Mint wanted to come up with a new marketing tool of putting a different face on this coin. And so they had a two page list of individuals um, from all walks of life. And Sacagawea was actually on the last page, very bottom, because I was told by the United States Mint that she was on the very last. And there was a committee that was created um, from the United States Mint And this committee actually had historians, um, a few Native American uh, leaders that were part of this, um, politicians, and they made the ultimate decision to have Sacagawea, who is Shoshone from Salmon, Idaho. Um, Some of you may not know, but she was actually the only Native American female on the uh, US expedition called the Corv expedition for the Lewis and Clark um, journey that occurred in 1804 to 1806. So for two years, um, President Jefferson uh, initiated this uh, core team, Lewis and Clark, to start a mission of discovering the lands of the unknown, um, basically the last frontier. And they started in St. Louis, they took um, probably about 20 young men with them. And they started venturing into Indian uh, country. And um, they stopped in Fort Mandan, which is in North Dakota. And actually, Sacagawea was uh, taken along with some other Shoshone girls from Idaho to uh, North Dakota, where she was married uh, to a, a French Uh, interpreter who understood French, English, and Shoshone, and so he was uh, basically contracted by um, Lewis and Clark to be the official interpreter, Um, but lo and behold, um, when they found that he was married uh, to this young Shoshone woman, um, and she was pregnant at the time, uh, they wanted her to be part of the expedition because she had the fresh knowledge of the lands and the language so they waited for her to have her baby she had a healthy baby boy his name is jean baptiste um, and it's noted in the lewis and clark journals of Sacagawea's participation of saving the expedition various times throughout the whole uh trek through uh through north dakota to the pacific ocean so If you haven't read the story of Sacagawea, please take some time. Uh, You can Google Sacagawea. uh, Within my tribe, we spell her name with a J. Um, The United States Mint, they spelled her name with a G. Um, And in the North Mandan territory, they spelled her name with two Ks. So there's three different versions of her spelling, but it's the same person. So, if you were to Google Sacagawea, you'll come up with that. So, just the story of Sacagawea and who I represent on this coin um, has a lot of meaning to me personally because I am a museum uh, degree. I do have a degree in museum studies uh, and history. And, um, you know, when I first had my first job uh, at our tribal museum, One of the many questions that we received from the German and the Chinese groups that were coming through our reservation was um, questioning Sacagawea, uh, more history, uh, historical facts of who our chiefs are. Mm -hmm. So as a young woman, um, I actually had to do my history and started asking my elders at that time about these questions. So that way I knew the answers. And what happened is it actually intrigued me to want to go into um, college to learn more and actually be a tribal voice for our own tribal stories. Because when I was doing my research, I found that there was a lot of non-tribal people writing about my people and that it was their versions that they took from the elders who possibly didn't understand English very well. So the questions that were posed to them, they probably didn't really understand it. Because even when I was younger, many years ago, um, a lot of our uh, elders spoke fluent. Uh, My grandparents spoke fluently. Um, So growing up uh, being yelled at, uh, you know, in our Shoshone and Bannock language, um, I didn't know the difference, but there is a difference. Um, My grandmother is actually Paiute, so um, we also spoke Paiute, and it's very close to the Bannock language, Um, but when you actually look at the the Shoshone nations as a whole, we're the northern Shoshone from Idaho, and then you have the eastern Shoshone from Wyoming, and the western Shoshone from Nevada, so if you look at the region before all of the state lines were created, you're going to see that we're equivalent to a bigger nation, um, similar to the Navajo, the Sioux, um, the Crow, Um, but because of the state lines were created, our people were forced to pick a reservation, so that's how you have um, these different reservations, so very interesting history, Um, uh, but again, you know, this all comes into play into my current position as a public affairs manager for the Shoshone Bannock Tribes, I've been working in this position for the past 11 years. I work directly with um, my tribal leaders. Uh, There are seven uh, tribal leaders and um, politics is definitely very interesting. Um, I never thought that I would actually be in this position. I did not go to school to um, serve in this position. Um, It just so happened that um, my, my background in communication, And and um, just being a personal person and also related to a lot of people on my reservation. I come from two very large families, Um, both of my grandparents on my paternal and my maternal um, have 11 to 12 kids. Um, And so uh, you can imagine, you know, all of my aunties and uncles are my first aunties and uncles and they had lots of kids. And so, um, you know, I do come from a very large family. Um, We have history of of cattle ranching and currently uh, Indian relay racing. Um, I was actually raised on a horse. Um, Every day we were on a horse and uh, that's what we did. We we didn't have PS5s and Nintendo Wii's. It was uh, basically, once we got home from school, we were outside playing. Uh, and go on horseback riding. Um, we didn't have saddles. We actually learned how to bridle up our horses, and we hung on to the mane of the horse. And we were um, so that was that was something that I prize, um, I cherish my uh, my upbringing. And um, but yeah, I I enjoy representing and serving my community um, today.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. And a couple of things I want to kind of touch on here and maybe kind of back you up on is mm-hmm. one, the Indian relay races, the horse races. Um, tell folks a little bit about that because that's not something that is common amongst <laughs> all other native communities. And, you know, I love the fact and I love the story of it all, but talk a little bit more about it and, and what does an Indian horse relay race look like?
1: Well, Indian Relay was born here in Fort Hall on this uh, reservation. Uh, as we acquired the horse. Uh, and when we did acquire the horse, uh, we actually became very good at riding. Both the men and the women were very skilled at horseback riding.
2: Mm.
1: Um, and they actually referred to the horse as, uh, uh, as the, a big dog, yep. large dog. Um, and uh, so part of uh, having these skills and this sportsmanship, uh, we would actually compete with uh, other tribes in, in uh, riding horses. And sometimes, you know, the main prize would be uh, a female, so a future wife. Um, and also, you know, you have your, uh, your pelts and, and all those other types of goods. But um, horse racing now today is uh, become a very popular sport uh, we start the season in May and we end it in September. We have an official Fort Hall Indian Relay Association where we have about 14 teams that are uh, family, uh, uh, their family teams that you, would, you actually have to have four horses, one rider and two uh, individuals that hold the horses. So you have the rider that starts off on the track on, on um, no saddle, Um, you go around the track. And then as you're coming back around, you slow down and you have to, the rider has to exchange onto the next horse going, slowing down like 30 to 40 miles an hour um, and jumping off of that horse, jumping onto the next horse and then taking off again and doing the same thing again. So they go around three times and the winner uh, receives Today, we give uh, Pendleton jackets, we give horse blankets for the horses, uh, (laughs) their helpers get jackets and there's money. There's a big pot of money. So it definitely is a very uh, exciting and anything can happen. Um, My father was a former jockey um, and uh, our family still maintains our our family team. So currently my nephew uh, is our rider. And the mugger and the holder are also family. So my brothers are the muggers and the holders, and you know this is a, a family tradition that here in Fort Hall we take it really serious. So not only do we have powwow people, but we also have horsemen, and um, and that's just all part of what we've been doing for thousands of years. No. Uh,
0: is there wagering as well that goes on with this? I mean, is this like something there, like similar to like the Kentucky Derby where like people are like putting be, bets on these types of yeah, things? Yeah,
1: there could be. Yes, there is. There's certain families that started and they'll uh, they'll say, OK, I, I got 20 or 50 on that on that team. Yeah, and we do have a lot of good teams. Um, generally, a young rider will start out at about 10 or 11 and start making their way up to the bigger um relay races um we do have a youth relay where we actually encourage families that have little shetland ponies Um, it that is so much fun to watch because these are these are young boys and girls that are taking on the roles of looking at their um, mentors, the, the, the older ones. And it's just, it's just amazing to see that, you know, this is a a generational thing. And um, we got people from all over the area that come just to watch the Indian relay races. Um, We do have teams from Montana, Wyoming, Washington state um, and Oregon that come all from all over to participate in our Indian relays, uh, races and compete. So Let me
0: ask ask you this, if I make sure I have it correct then. So the, is it, it's all based on time. So like there's not other teams racing at the same time, right? So it's not like there's a.
1: No, there is. So (laughs) if we have, so say for example, we get 26 teams that want to race in our, in our competition. They'll
0: have different heats.
1: Yes. They'll have different heats. They'll put about six teams in one. And then even when they do those draws between the 26 teams, you have like the really good teams that are like just really hoping that they can, you know, compete with the other good teams. Um, So it's, it's really interesting from like day one on who's registering day two, who's competing against who um, during those heats. And it maintains like an interest from everyone that's coming to watch. And so We'll be sitting there at the rodeo grounds for an hour, watching all these teams compete and winning money, wagering, um, and it's a huge deal, you know, for families to have that honor and and uh, that excitement of seeing their grandson, their brother, their son, their nephew win. Um, and we do have a division for girls only because, um, oh. you know, it's a tough sport too. But we do have my niece she's been racing with the guys and she's actually won, um, some, a, a lot of those, of those competitions. And so she's kind of well-known in the area and awesome. they get a story on her too. So, but anyhow, you know, Indian relays is, is an amazing sport. It's tradition. Um, and we still continue to do it today in Fort hall
0: last thing on the on the indian horse relays is there a belt buckle like championship at the end like do you get a big fat belt buckle that you win is like like that part of the whole deal too
1: okay so um (laughs) so back in my dad's generation when they were wearing wranglers and people were actually wearing belt buckles yeah nowadays they don't Ah. Uh, just the change in the style So um, my dad does have some nice, beautiful beaded buckles um, of, uh, you know, various years. Um, So yeah, we do have a collection of those. But nowadays it's all about the jacket, the money, and the horse blankets, and whatever else uh, a sponsoring family wants to sponsor. Sometimes they'll do hay, sometimes they'll do buckets of uh, medicines for the horses. Um, and we're actually using, um, uh, we're using, uh, professional horses. So these families are going to Wyoming and Washington, buying the best horses, the thoroughbreds. Uh, so that way they can have the fastest horses during the relay season. So it's no longer just taking a horse that's in the pasture and training (laughs) it for a month. Um, they take this very serious.
0: that is fascinating i love that thank you for that that is that's really cool um okay so one thing i picked up on as well and just to kind of dig a little bit more into like the community and where you're coming from this was on the website you know for this is sbtribes.com and this is the about page and just kind of digging into a little bit more of like the shoshone bannock tribes is there's a there's a headline here in a banner that says contributing 400 million dollars annually to the local economy and that's pretty significant. I mean, that's a pretty good chunk of change for mm-hmm. an area where you said or you know, in our pre-interview here we talked about is that, you know, wages aren't really that substantial in the area. I mean, cost of living and things like that may be a little bit different. I know that, you know, since COVID there's been a huge migration to folks, you know, moving up into, you know, parts of Idaho and things like that. But your your nation, your tribe contributing four hundred million to the local economy and You know, my initial question and thought was, is this gaming revenue that you're kind of, you Mm -hmm. know, pumping back into it, but you were quick to like, you know, correct me, which I appreciate, but tell me a little bit more about that.
1: So actually it's not 400 million. It actually increased based upon our last data review. It's now 450 million uh, that we contribute to the regional economy. And this is really measured in output cells. Um, so we have about 110,000 acres of irrigated agricultural lands that brings in about 100 and hold on I'm actually going to get. Okay, let me repeat that.
0: Sure. of course. Okay.
1: All right, so we have about 450 million that we actually uh, contribute to the region in the state of Idaho. Um, It's very important because back in 2011, we started to get requests. We started to see economic uh, committees being created in our outside area um, off the reservation where the tribes were very often not included in a lot of the economic data. Mm -hmm. And so with my role um, and the previous person who used to be in this role, She was able to connect and then also with my connections and knowing a lot of people in the chamber and the rotary, um, we started including the tribes economic impact data, uh, which we found that 110,000 acres of our land is rich irrigated lands. Um, And that's huge. And that brings over 115, 115 million in revenues each year.
0: And talk about the crops. uh, What are the crops that are being grown?
1: So our crops here in the state of Idaho, because you all know Idaho has potatoes. Well, a lot of the Idaho potatoes actually is probably from our reservation. Um, Also, we have, we rotate the crops. uh, So we'll have sugar beets, we'll have potatoes, we've got alfalfa. Uh, We do grow some corn that's non-consumption by humans, but more for Um, feed for horses and and animals. Um, And so when you look at our land base and you're taking a drive through our lands, you'll notice that we do have fields. Well, those are the fields that we do lease out. We do lease out to um, some very profitable uh, ranch uh, farmers. Um, We do have a lot of fourth and fifth generation farmers that just love uh, working with the tribe. So we have a really Great maintained relationship with a lot of the the local farmers and ranchers. Mm. Um, uh, we also have uh, really good water rights that actually help with the farming needs. They know that we're reliable when it comes to the water needs. Um, they don't have to rely on the state. Um, and so those are the things that you know put the tribes in in control um, mm. of 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 maintaining. Um, our leased lands. We also have amazing departments that help maintain uh, the environmental impacts that might occur from some of this leasing. So we do have people here within the tribal government that do work with um, these types of projects. Um, One thing I wanna note that number one is our agriculture uh, revenue. Number two is our gaming. We do have three casinos One is the larger casino that is um, in the heart of the reservation. So as you're getting off the interstate, you're going to see our Shoshone Bannock um, Hotel and event center and the casino. Um, But we also have two mini casinos that are on the outskirts of our reservation, um, and they're attached with gas stations. Mm. So our marketing is, you know pump some gas and go and, and, uh, you know, play,
0: yeah. um,
1: in the Fort hall, it's play and stay, stay in our hotel, eat in our restaurants, have some Buffalo stew, fried bread, Buffalo burger, um, you know, some local cuisine. Cause a lot of our meat that we do sell in our restaurants are from our Buffalo herd, which is good because our buffalo are, um, they maintain an area in the, this beautiful uh, backdrop that I have in my Zoom here, um, you know, they're grass-fed. Um, so that creates a better, healthier type of meat that's easy for people to digest. Um, and again, you know, this is all tested, where um, we got the trademark from the USDA Native American program. Um, And so we were actually, we do sell our meat in our local uh, grocery store. Mm. So anybody can purchase it for the barbecue season. I know I do. Um, I'll go in and buy some burgers. They already have some pre-made patties. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, there's just a lot that our tribe offers. Um, And um, I'm very, uh, you know, very proud of the things that we have and And this is my role is to showcase and communicate that to off-reservation groups um, and bring them into the reservation and connect with my tribal leaders so they can have the conversations to engage in a future business venture or whatever it may look like. So. um,
0: And I think you're touching on something that's interesting there is that there is some you know, diversity in your economic development plans and things like that, I mean, it goes beyond, you know, just gaming and things like that, mm-hmm. which is kind of typical for a lot of, you know, native communities and things like that, um, you know, utilizing, you know, some of your, your territory and things like that to lease out for land, you know, and, and farmers and things like that, which is thus then goes into the economy of, you know, the, the greater, you know, United States whenever else, and you're supplying, you know, you're part of that supply chain and things like that. Um, you know, so that that's really cool. I mean, I love the fact that like you have a, a buffalo herd. You had mentioned that was you know about three hundred, four hundred head strong, which is pretty yes. remarkable. I mean, and, uh, obviously, you know, a testament to the the size of your 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 community and your territory and things like that. But then that also becoming something that is now incorporated in like the diets of maybe like your community members as well, and you know, the health and well being and things like that. So, um, you know, so many great things that I mean, I really was ignorant about. You know, and again, thank you for kind of schooling me up on this and you know, where that all is right now. And, and that's, again, great because I kind of had this understanding or maybe this thought that kind of going in, and it was great that you kind of highlighted it or talked about this a little bit in terms of like the relationship that you have with like the border towns and things like that. Oftentimes it's the narrative that the border towns and, you know, butting up to like the res and things like that, there's some tension still there. There's still mm-hmm. some sort of hard feelings and bad feelings. And I can't imagine it's always perfect and things like that. I mean, I get that, but... Um, with you all contributing about 450 million plus to the local economy and things like that. And, you know, what you're providing in terms of goods and services and things, there has to be a little bit of a better relationship there. So that's also something that um, has to be pretty unique to, to to your territory and where you're at. So I really appreciate that.
1: It is. And, you know, out of the five tribes of Idaho, uh, not all five have uh, the the bigger numbers because really, it, it really has to do with our land base. We, we are the largest land-based reservation in the state of Idaho. Um, we're very thankful that within our uh, Fort Bridger Treaty that we were able to retain the land that we have. And uh, really it's all about cultural protection and natural resource management. And it's great that we actually have amazing tribal staff that have gone to school, come, returned back and now are in these type of positions Um, And I'm very lucky that, you know, again, I I did not go into a college program specifically for what I'm doing today, but because of the experience that I've had in working in um, cultural centers, uh, tourism centers, uh, museums, uh, government agencies, you know, all of that has, you know, enabled me to become a little bit more seasoned and prepared for what I'm doing today and working and building relationships with the off-reservation um, individuals and um, it actually, I feel like every tribe needs a PR or a public affairs department mm. to maintain and handle um, the growing needs that every tribe is is dealing with, um, you know, with having Deb halon Um, in the federal uh, area, she's advocating for all of these good things. And it goes back to your tribal leaders, but you know, tribal leaders are also maintaining the needs going uh, within their own reservation, but yet alone, trying to be uh, active on a federal level. Um, And so, you know, in within my office, you know, we have a policy analyst and myself, and you know, her and I are busy every day. Um, You know, she's got her tasks. I have mine. And, you know, I just feel like every tribe uh, needs to have a good staff of people that can actually focus on certain areas of legislative priorities. Because again, tribes are dealing with other personnel matters, environmental issues, health issues, education. It's just a a very diverse um, uh, topics that tribal leaders have to deal with. So So we're their support staff.
0: So tell me this then, I mean, and I know you've mentioned a lot of like the the programs and, and um, offerings that you have within your nation and things like that. Where are things at in terms of like cultural preservation and things like, do you have like language programs? Do you have mm-hmm. cultural reclamation projects and things like that that are going on? And does your tribe also have a, a museum or anything like that as well?
1: Yeah, so we have a tribal museum and that's, I, I mentioned, you know, that was my first job. I was mm-hmm. actually with our uh, summer youth program and I believe I was 14. Um, That was my first job and working at our tribal museum. Um, And yes, we have a language and culture department where uh, we have uh, two uh, elderly speakers that maintain a uh, online, they do hybrid um, speaking series every day uh, for one hour. And um, they're able to engage with tribal members that perhaps live off the reservation working or going to school and they're able to maintain the the, the 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 language um and we do have a language immersion school on the reservation called cheap elementary academy wow. um actually it's k through six um during k through second grade they actually the students uh in the morning session they speak nothing but shoshone And then after lunch, then they go into regular curriculum that the state um, recommends. So that's part of our um, maintaining, uh, retaining our uh, Shoshone language. Um, And as I mentioned, you know, um, our reservation was originally set aside for the Bannock uh, bands. Um, But again, um, during that time, we had a lot of Shoshones and Bannocks and Paiutes uh, on the reservation. So the reservation was named Shoshone Bannock. Um, And so we do have two tribes that do speak two different languages. They're similar, but they're different. (laughs) So um, uh, now they're blended today. Mm -hmm. Um, And we have a lot more Shoshone fluent speakers than we do Bannock speakers. So that's something that, you know, our language and program uh, department is looking at um, diversifying their uh, language program to fit, you know, the fact that we don't have a lot of Bannock speakers um, um, and more Shoshone. So,
0: so let me touch on a couple of things and, you know, not trying to get into too many sensitive spaces and spots and things like that, but in terms of like the boarding school experience and things like that, Mm -hmm. I mean, how did that affect your community in particular? And. You said that you, you mentioned that you have a school on territory, so that's tribally run as well or run by your nation and community and things like that? Or what does that look like?
1: So the the academy school, the language immersion school is actually uh, on the reservation, but, it's, but because it's a language immersion uh, program, it has to go through the state. So it's state funded. Mm-hmm. Uh, the tribes do contribute to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, majority of the students uh, are all tribal members from um, our reservation, and um, so it's an interesting program. Um, They have about 100 Native American students that attend the school. Mm -hmm. Um, We do have competition, though, with the nearby public schools just because of the academic programs or the sports uh, Mm -hmm. programs that, that are being offered. Um, But basically where you reside um, dictates where your child needs to go to school. Mm. But because our reservation has um, some invisible county lines, if you sit or reside in that kind of invisible lines, you have a choice of, I I can put my child into a a reservation school or they can go to public. So there's some options there.
0: And what would be the next closest big town to uh, the the territory? Like, what would that school be?
1: So our reservation, so we don't refer to our reservation as a territory like you guys would. Mm -hmm. Um, Ours is more uh, just the reservation. Um, The closest town would be Pocatello uh, and Blackfoot. Mm. Both of them are equal distance. A lot of our tribal people do reside in these towns. We shop in these towns. so it's very important to maintain a relationship with both of these towns mm. but it's very interesting because we have a better relationship with one town than we do the other when we sh- it should be the other way around because <laughs> we have more people in in the town that we don't have a really good relationship with their city leaders and their school system I see. so so um, yeah if- different relationships Uh, you know, require different types of uh, uh, handling. And um, I'm part of that, uh, getting it to be finessed and making both of our tribal leaders and our city leaders talk so we can iron out the issues.
0: So this leads me to a question then, and you and I had talked about this briefly in our our pre-interview here was, you were pretty green when you went into the Sacagawea, um, you know, campaign and all of that stuff, and so we're still pretty new, still pretty young and learning, and um, a little bit inexperienced in terms of how to handle and manage, um, you know, this newfound shame, uh, fame that had kind of happened to you. How has that kind of played into like what you're doing today in terms of like the work? And I mean, maybe some of the mistakes that you made, and now you're able to recognize and see these things. Um, tell me a little bit about that and what, you know, maybe some of the challenges were that you were confronted with, you know, with the Sacagawea fame.
1: So, um, to go back, you know, again, nine, 1998, I was approached to be the model for one whole year from 98 to 99. I was told to not reveal the fact that I worked with this artist on this project because it was a it was so confidential. And then all of a sudden, in 2000, it was announced to the public through Walmart, that there's this new coin, it features, uh Sacagawea. And the United States men asked me, do you want to be part of the campaign? It took me two days to think about it. It wasn't an automatic. Yes, it was it was something that my family and I needed to talk about because of the fact that it was going to be a new shining light. It would, it would basically be living in a fishbowl. Mm.
2: Um,
1: and that's exactly what happened. Um, not that I was afraid of anybody finding out anything. It was just the fact that I was not living at home on my reservation in Idaho where I had my family to Mm -hmm. rely upon, to go and visit. I was living in the dormitory on the University of New Mexico campus still. Um, I graduated in May of 2000 and the coin came out earlier 2000. Mm -hmm. So in in the fall of 1999, I got invited to an unveiling ceremony that was actually held in Washington DC um, at the White House, when Bill Clinton was our president,
2: mm.
1: Bill actually had an emergency trip to Puerto Rico, so he wasn't able to be at the unveiling ceremony. So guess who took his place? The first lady, Hillary mm. Clinton. Mm. So I had, I had a very, I was very honored. I had tea with Hillary. <laughs> I was dressed in my deerskin dress that yeah. my grandmother made. And I was able to have tea with her, talk to her a little bit before it got a little crazy. Um, There were dignitaries that were invited from different tribal nations. There was a drum group. uh, Joanne Shenandoah uh, was there singing. She was the official uh, musical guest.
2: Um,
1: And that was the first time that I got to see the coin, the actual finished image on the stage.
2: Um,
1: and so this was again, fall of 1999. And that was the opening of Randy L. Teton, the model for the Sacagawea coin, who is she? Where is she from? That's when I started getting a lot more attention. And again, I was just a college student straight from the reservation in Idaho never knew never imagined it you know ever having the ability to have a modeling gig and then being placed on the coin that is just amazing and um, sometimes I pinch myself so a lot of new things uh popped up after that and the United States men asked me if they wanted uh, my name to be publicly included and I and so again I took two days Um, I then determined that that would be fine because again, there was a need for a tribal voice versus a missing voice
2: Mm. when
1: it comes to the Sacagawea coin, someone needed to be able to share with others, the true perspective of, of, of her story. Um, there's still a lot of, um, inaccurate, um, accounts, uh, You still have different people that have different renditions of who she was, what she did, Um, but overall, the fact that she was only 14 with a brand new baby on foot and on the river for two years, and she survived, and she helped these men survive, that alone is an amazing contribution that she alone was able to do, and she was not recognized even during her time, and so we're very thankful that she is being recognized today, and that I'm able to express that and to educate people about the, his, the Shoshone perspective of Sacagawea, because Spon- there's a Mandan Spon- perspective, because she was stolen by the Mandans and she lived in the Mandan village for a short time, and they have their version,
2: mm. but
1: that's only a very short version. She is Shoshone from Salmon, Idaho, um, and she does have uh, blood relatives that are still alive today. Um, I'm not a blood relative to Sacagawea, um, but again, you know, when it comes to Shoshone people, we're all related in some way or another. Um, I never claim to be um, a blood relation. I do respect the families that do have that, um, that tie with her. But again, just the story about her is an amazing story, and I encourage anybody and everybody out there to look Google her um, to learn more.
0: Well, so one just one last thing I want to kind of touch on with that. Then, excuse me, is that this year, and I guess ever since you know maybe back in I was doing a little bit of research earlier, but your image has stayed as like the constant in the the golden dollars. But the U.S. Mint has also opened up sort of this series of like Native American coins that they're, they're reissuing or they're doing these kind of updates and things like that. So if you're flipping a coin, heads or tails, you're the head side and the tail side is now featuring Native American history, Native American um, people from the past and things like that. And now the 2022, uh, coin that's coming out that's going to be issued is from the Seneca Nation, the Se- Tonawanda the T- Seneca specifically, which is um, very close to where I'm at here in upstate New York and Rochester, the Rochester area. This is our original homeland and territory. And Elise S. Parker is being featured on that. And he was a U.S. Army officer. He was an engineer. He's a tribal diplomat. And, you know, your feature is still present in all of those stories along the way. So that, again, is, you know, just a really kind of cool piece of like your legacy and things like that. But then also kind of a bigger story for me is the fact that an indigenous woman is being featured. And it wasn't very often that women were being featured in coins, you know, prior to, you know, I guess it was Lincoln, I guess is what it was. And then the Susan B. Anthony, you know, kind of, you know, finally came on the scene, but there was something unique about the image that you had also um, portrayed was that it was a sort of a three quarter pose which is different than the usual sort of side profile that they have. And the fact that you were carrying a baby on your back Mm -hmm. and in a lot of ways, there's a number of metaphors that kind of like sit within that, just that image and likeness of you. And one being a mother, being a woman. So, you know, as indigenous people, we look at like the earth and where we, where we live is our mother. And then also like having on your back a baby, which kind of represents the future you know, which represents like the generations to come and things like that. And I guess I'm just kind of getting too far into my own head with all of this, but did at any point did that, that kind of like, you know, hit you at all? That like, you know, the representation of you and how they were, you know, capturing you and it's the look over the shoulder. So it's kind of also like, you know, you're leading the way like, Hey, follow me this way. Like I'm going this way. Like here's, here's the path or there's where we're heading. Um, have you ever kind of unraveled any of that or kind of, you know, talked, thought about that in your head at all?
1: Well, it's a good thing that you bring that up. Okay. Um, actually, that was a recommendation that we made to the artist.
0: Ah, okay.
1: That was something that we felt as, uh, so my myself and my mother were there the day that we uh, went to Santa Fe, um, the artist, lena Goodacre's studio in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And uh, a few things that we discussed was the importance of, being culturally appropriate looking mm-hmm. for this photo shoot, meaning I'm not just going to be wearing a t-shirt and my jeans and having regular um, earrings on, but looking the part of what Sacagawea may have been wearing mm-hmm. and the fact that the baby was with her every single day and the importance of having our children near us right by us right here Uh, she lost the uh, traditional cradle board during the trip so she had to revert to a piece of cloth to tie her baby and have the baby's head so close to her so that way she knew he was okay so we talked about this to the artist and she listened and the next day she told me to return back and she was able to get a deerskin dress from a local gallery for me to wear and I honestly thought I was not gonna fit it but I did it felt good um and that made me feel good about what we were trying to accomplish Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: um we were able to capture a lot of wonderful photos, and one of the things is one of the things that I really loved about Glenna is that she always had an eye for something different. Hmm. So her and I were playing uh, during the photo session, and she would say, you know, turn this way and turn that way. She really liked my side profile. She really liked um, the high cheekbones, um, my natural uh, look. I didn't wear a lot of makeup, uh, never really have. And um, so she was able to capture that. But what the other unique thing is, is that she did not submit two-dimensional drawings. She actually created actual clay renditions of the coin. And she (laughs) molded my face in these clay renditions. And she submitted those to the United States Mint where they have them in their vaults, um, that was something very unique that no other artist submitted. Everybody submitted um, photos, they submitted uh, uh, pencil art, um, uh, you know, different types of two-dimensional paper. She went beyond that and also included the frontal looking back over the shoulder, the baby all of that spoke to the committee, the selection committee, according to what I was told, um, where they liked the way the image captured uh, Sacagawea at that young age as a young mother. Mm-hmm. And when I looked at the other sketches, cause I was able to look at some of the other renditions of other artists, they made her look old. Um, I mean, literally like 30 40 50 years old and again this was supposed to capture a young lady of that served the us expedition yeah so there's a lot of unique things another unique thing with this campaign was the fact that they put up 10 designs on the usmint.gov website mm-hmm. and they encouraged the public to vote for their favorite image and so during this time a lot of people didn't have laptops. Like I had to go to the computer pod uh, on on campus just to log in and look at these designs. And also I had to call my grandmother and my family back in Idaho and encourage them. Can you get access to a computer? Go and vote for me. Um, But again, a lot of people there wasn't Wi-Fi on the reservations. There was limited limited availability to get to someone that had a desktop. Yeah. So there's a lot of limitations that our tribal people weren't able to do during that early time of voting. And so um, anyhow, uh, they the winning image was of me looking beyond my shoulder with the baby. Um, they had to change it up a bit because Um, the actual image of Sacagawea couldn't be of me. So when you look at the coin, the forehead, the chin, and the cheeks are mine. Mm. They had to change the lips and then they had to redo the the eyes so that way it could fit a different Shoshone person, you know, Sacagawea. Mm. Now, the doll that I had with me that day was actually just a walmart baby doll that i threw on my back but anyhow so she did an amazing job and there's a lot of unique things that this coin uh, alone uh, created and it was the first time they used a non-engraver from the u.s mint engraving artists mm. so um, they chose 16 artists from the national artists guild association so you you just couldn't be an artist um off the street it was actually they chose artists that had like a long history of of winning awards and be being great artists so glenna amazingly she actually worked for uh ronald reagan she was ronald reagan's uh personal sculptor Hmm. so in her studio when i first came uh into her studio Uh, There was a 10 foot sculpture of uh, Ronald Reagan and she had a bunch of other um, sculptures of him. And so it was just really an awesome experience. But again, being a young woman, just graduating from college, straight from the reservation, I never knew that I would need to have an agent to help me, guide me, Look at the contracts that were being presented to me. Um, a lot of people ask me, Well, did you get paid for this? My answer is um, I was paid a modeling fee from the artist. Um, I was not paid anything from the United States Mint.
2: Yeah. Um, the
1: only thing that I received from the United States Mint was a very short term support. I do not have a the current support of the United States Mint today, which saddens me because as you mentioned, I still am the likeness, the model, the official model for a coin that they're still circulating. I have never been actually reached out to by the United States Mint. So one thing to note is that when we get a new president, There are new people that get um, inducted. And so the U.S. Mint has gone through different Mint directors. And my relationship during that 98 to 2002 uh, was good. It was solid. Mm -hmm. But since I stopped doing um, the marketing campaign with the United States Mint, I feel like they just kind of forgot about me. And so what I do today on my own website, randylteton.com, is I promote and sell the coins. But what's unique about them is that they're uncirculated, meaning they haven't been touched by anybody but me, the (laughs) model. I imprint my coins. So I take the coins that are freshly made from Philadelphia because that's where I was able to Um, work with the Philadelphia Mint. So I'll take one coin and I'll smash it between my thumb. And so the thumb, my thumbprint will go onto my face. And so 10 to 15 years down the road, you'll see my thumbprint appear and it actually increases the value of that coin in the long-term.
0: Wow, yeah.
1: And I'll, yeah, I'll lock it into an airtight container so that way nobody else will touch it And then I'll include my uh, certificate of authenticity that certifies that this is an actual coin from me and it has my signature. Um, I've actually had coin collectors from all over the world send me their coins just so I can sign them. And nowadays I won't because again, the lack of having someone um, look at my business, I should have been more um, aware of people that take advantage of me. So yeah. well, I would sign things back in the 2000s at coin shows, and now they're on eBay. Now they're being auctioned for a lot of money and I don't get a penny from it. Yeah. Um, and so it's things like that, that I feel like, you know it would have been nice to have someone to say, no, Randy, don't sign more than 20 items for one person. Cause I remember signing like 20 items. Well, that individual ended up going and making a really good profit off of my signature. So nowadays I'm very aware, um, I'm more experienced at negotiating on my behalf to make sure that um, I don't get um, taken advantage of. And I just kind of feel like, you know, that's been, um, something a lot of our tribal people have dealt with in the past not just myself but um, seeing like how um, the buffalo nickel and uh, the the other Native Americans that have adorned uh, currency
2: um, Mm -hmm.
1: they were never recognized we don't know who they were during that time now they're starting to say oh this is A former chief from the Sioux Nation, you know, and he's already passed away, and and maybe he actually passed away, you know, in a impoverished way where you know at the time if he was given something or some type of recognition, his family would be set for future generations. And so I look back at these things, at the history that our people have um, dealt with, and you know, that's one thing that I advocate for. So all these young actors and actresses coming up, I kind of feel like I've been in their shoes. A lot of us reservation kids, you know, we don't talk about these types of things at the dinner table. We don't talk about possibly one day I'm gonna be on TV because that just never was part of back then in the eighties and the seventies. No one never knew that we would have, you know, uh, res dogs. and. 1883. You know, you have all you have this new trend of having Native Americans be real natives from real reservations because they were taking Italians and painting their faces and putting on a wig and saying this is a Native American and hooping and hollering. And now it's all about cultural sensitivity. So I'm very thankful for this new trend. Um, And I anybody out there that is wanting to discuss these things, or maybe you're going through some copyright infringement issues. You know, I have definitely learned how to protect yourself. Um, It's just something that, you know, we need to start talking about more.
0: Well, I I think that's a a very valid point. And I think it's even, you know, very contemporary as well, because right now the NCAA has kind of been going through something, excuse me, in terms of like the NIL and the name, image and likeness. And so this is something that's happening where student athletes and things like that for a number of years are being taken advantage of, you know, mm-hmm. and, and their, their name, image, and likeness was being used by the NCAA and students not being able to profiteer or make any kind of, you know, financial gain from that. And everybody knows that college kids in a lot of ways are, you know, kind of almost living impoverished, like you were mentioning about. And so I think this is a valuable kind of lesson that you, you have and the experience that you have, but also what kind of, you know, struck me there was like, this is another level of like dispossession, you know, in terms of how indigenous people have been treated by, you know, through colonization, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so again, your image, your likeness was being dispossessed by you in a way that, you know, I don't want to say so much that it was like you were duped or anything like that, but not fully understanding and not being fully aware of how to protect yourself and how to protect your intellectual property, I guess, in a way, your own imagery, you know, those are things that are, you know, again, like you said, I mean, it's not, you know, certainly talked about. It's not certainly something that a lot of us have experience with in terms of how do you navigate these spaces. Um, But I think that it's, you know, it is great that you do have it in your heart, I guess, more than anything to like understand and know that it's important to kind of pass this information along and to also, you know, offer maybe courses, classes or any kind of like advisement in terms of our consultation in terms of like how you can protect yourself and how you do protect you know your valuable you know assets that you may have or what you may bring to the table so again those are you know very valuable lessons to take from this and I'm you know um, I'm glad that you're able to kind of do some things with your own website and can you give me that one more time just for folks that want to you know uh, check in there again and and maybe you yeah. know have, have this piece of history
1: Yes, to learn more about my story and to purchase a coin, uh, you go to RandyLTeton.com. So R-A-N-D-Y-L-T-E-T-O-N.com.
0: Very cool. And so you can find, is there is there also any kind of merch other than the coins on there? Have you kind of branched out? I'm work, that?
1: I am working on that. I've actually had a lot of people request t-shirts and hoodies of the coin um, but there are certain things that I'm, uh, even myself, as being the model for the coin, um, back when I did have a good relationship with the United States Mint, they did allow me to um, uh, have the image of the coin, but I just need to make sure that I'm I'm good to actually have the image of the coin. And if not, then I do have another version um, that I wanted to use that I do own. Um, so we're working on that right now. So. Stay tuned for new merch.
0: Very cool. And any other things that you're doing outside of your work, you know, with your nation or anything like that you'd like to kind of put out there. I always love to kind of give a little bit of a platform here for, you know, my guests and things like that to you know the the goal and the the reach for this podcast, I'm not sure what that is yet. I'm still kind of, you know, bumping along here and trying to figure that out. But I think more than anything, I want to make connections. I want to connect people to the cool things that people are up to, you know, my guests and things like that. And the people that are here joining me in these conversations, but are there other things that, or any initiatives that you have kind of going on or appearances or places that you're gonna be that you'd like to kind of pub and get some more folks to kind of come your way?
1: Uh, well, you know, during the COVID I actually created a, a really cool um, Zoom. It's called uh, Zoom, with Sacaga- Zoom with Sacagawea. Okay. Uh, where it allows uh, teachers, professors, uh, tribal government uh, that wanted me to talk about my story about Sacagawea. Um, so I do still have that capability where I could um, I do 30 minute Zoom with Sacagawea. So something very similar to what we did today is kind of having the ability to hear my story, and then also there's Q there's Q and A's from the students, from the college students, high school, um, because again uh, at one time before I. Uh, became a mom, a, a career mom. Um, I was actually traveling a lot to universities, to tribal nations, um, to music festivals, um, just a variety of different events where I was a special guest, I was the moderator. Um, I, I don't really have that ability to just travel now mm. um, because of my children, but I do have that capability of Zooming with Sacagawea. So if, if anyone's interested, I, I still... Um, open up my schedule for a few, not a whole lot, um, because it does take a lot of time and prep time and just being able to connect with the the students or whoever the audience is.
0: Very cool. So let me ask you one last thing here, and this is something that I was uh, tickled by a little bit when when I came across this and understood this, but you had mentioned that you had a interest in wanting to do you ended up in the in the field of like museum studies and things like that, but it was a possible or at one time a dream job would have been to be on the Antiques Roadshow.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Talk about yeah. that.
1: God. Oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, that's kind of unique. I don't think any uh, Reds kid uh, has that dream of actually being on PBS um, <laughs> to be on the antique Roadshow. Um but, you know, I've always uh, grew up a little, my mindset was always different. Um, you know, for me, it was always advocating for the, the, the right story, the true history, the true facts. And so part of my dream of pursuing my museum uh, degree was to become a curator and to actually possibly uh, be the tribal voice for the show um, Antiques Roadshow. Some of you might be familiar with that show. Um, I believe it still does um, exist on PBS uh, station. Cool. Sure. Uh, and you know, you see the uh, the coastal mask, you see the Navajo blankets, you see yeah. uh, beaded items, you see Native American artwork, but yet you don't see the tribal person talking about it. They yeah. bring yeah. in these kind of old white scholars that talk about these items. And to me, these items are alive. Yeah. And that's one of the things why I pursued museum studies is because there was a lack of a tribal care and a tribal voice to talk to these items and let them know that you, you still matter to us as Indian people. I, you know, that was one thing that I connected very well at the National Museum of American Indian going through the collections. It could be from Alaska, it could be from the Cherokee Nation. It was very important as a native person, um, just having that connection with these items and being able to talk to them.
0: That's very cool. I appreciate (laughs) that. And um, yeah, I think that's really cool. So, Randy L you've been absolutely generous with your time today I appreciate all that you're doing I appreciate the sh- the stories you shared and it's inspiring really I mean I'm I I feel like I've done nothing with myself and you know I've uh I've I, and I I say that jokingly because I know I've had some very fortunate experiences and opportunities and again getting to meet you back when we were you know just young adults at that time um yeah. you know is definitely certainly an honor and up op- and a cool opportunity to meet you and um one thing I always kind of, you know, appreciated and recognized about you is your humbleness throughout it all, you know, and really is sort of your cool mild manner throughout it all, you know, how you're able to kind of navigate and do these different things and, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure it must have been hectic and crazy and, and nerve wracking at different times. But, um, you know, I think you did a good job with it all. And it's great to, uh you know, every once in a while, if I need to, I can I can still see you, you know, like there's yeah. a coin that uh, has your representation there and also Facebook's another other as well. So um, if you don't follow her on Facebook, she's got an interesting uh, storyline timeline and things like that um, recently built a house, I understood. Not yet. Oh, it's co- in it the works. Co-
1: COVID uh, is, is the problem to that delayed me, but gotcha. I do have I am a landowner. Nice. Uh, actually, third generation. My grandfather was given that land when the reservation was created, uh, given to my father, and now me. So, okay. uh, future house is definitely coming up.
0: Very nice. Awesome. So, Randy L., I appreciate your time as always. Good to catch up with you and see you let's not make it, you know, as you know spaced out, you know, hopefully we can get to, get to see each other again, I would absolutely love to come up to your territory and your community and see all the cool things that are going on up there, you know that would be a really awesome yeah. place and that. Uh, scene that you have in your background there on zoom here for those who are going to see the video um, you know down the road I am going to launch a a YouTube page with some video in here so you can actually see the guests and see the folks that I have in the room. Um, But you know she has a beautiful (laughs) image of her of her community there's a river that's running through there and uh, looks like an amazing place to go and check out and I've never been or stepped foot in Idaho and um, I certainly want to you know make that make that change and make that make that difference.
1: The invite is open for you and your family and your your father. Uh, Definitely, um, you know, you guys are welcome to Idaho.
0: Awesome, I appreciate that. Well, in our language, we do not have a word for goodbye, so we say Mm escongeite, and that is until we meet again. So, Randy L, thank you so much, and I will talk to you soon.
2: See you. Power is in your heartbeat.